I'm going to read to you from a chapter today that you've probably never even heard before. <laughs> Psalms chapter 23. Um, you usually hear this at closing time, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you usually hear this preached at a funeral. But uh, I'm not here today to celebrate at a funeral. I'm here because there's a tomb that's empty. Come on now. So, if by chance you have lived on another planet and you've never heard this scripture before, I want to introduce you today to Psalms chapter 23. It is a psalm of David. If you have those little notes in your Bible, it'll usually tell about the psalm. And it says specifically that this is a psalm of David. And I'm saying that because it matters in the context of what I'm going to preach to you today. That David who was the psalmist, was also a shepherd, and he was a king. But there's a powerful principle in this chapter that I want to preach to you today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me. In the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. And my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone say amen to the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to preach to you today from the perspective of a lamb. From the perspective of a lamb. I want us to call on the Lord together and ask that his word would speak to our hearts Would you just surrender yourself to the Lord right now? God, whatever you want to say, whatever you're speaking today, God, we want to hear your voice. God, whatever it is that you desire for us to hear, captivate our hearts again. Captivate our minds and our spirits. I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus that every thought in this room would be brought into captivity. I pray, God, against every spirit of distraction, every spirit of disruption. And I pray today, Lord, that there would be free course for the Word of God to move. That there would be fertile soil for the Word of God to be planted therein. And we rejoice in the God of our salvation today. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen. If you're still holding on to that Bible today or your iPad or whatever you're reading from, I want you to set it down behind you because we're getting ready to give the Lord a hand clap of thanks for His goodness. Amen. Come on, let it ring the rafters in this house this morning. Let it ring the rafters here this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Lord bless you, you may be seated. This is... uh, This is truly one of the most historically famous, most quoted psalms, I would say. Uh, Especially outside the realms of uh, what we would call Christendom. Uh, This is very, very popular because you see it in places that aren't even really churchy. You know, there's a really good chance at some point walking through Hobby Lobby or perhaps... Cracker Barrel, for those of you that know the will of God, you may see a blanket somewhere or something, a little candle, something that's got the 23rd Psalm on it. Um, And I don't, I don't want this to be misunderstood nor misconstrued what I'm about to say to you, but I feel like, I feel like if we're not careful, we'll take some sacred things 
And uh, we'll turn them into just like coin phrases and sayings, you know. Uh, it's amazing how many people in, in dark times of their lives will grab hold of the 23rd Psalm. Even Hollywood tries to depict it. When you'll see uh, films and whatever where it's a funeral. They're standing at a graveside. There'll be a priest in the background. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to, you know, it's like, oh, okay. But listen, I want to tell you there's something powerfully important that you cannot miss about the 23rd Psalm, and it is introduced in the very first line. David, the shepherd, the king, makes this statement. The Lord is my shepherd. Nobody's going to run. Uh, Okay, pastor, we can read. No, I want you to understand what he's saying. I've made a decision. The Lord is my shepherd. Not everybody that quotes this can say that. They're reading what David said. But David was not quoting somebody else. He was not reading someone else's psalm. He was singing a song from the depths of his heart. That the Lord is my shepherd. David said at the opening of the sequence... At the beginning of the rhythmic diction, the Lord is my shepherd. So everything else that I say to you after this moment right now comes from a different perspective. I'm not writing to you or singing to you from the perspective of somebody that knows about him. I am writing to you from the perspective of somebody that knows him. I'm writing to you from the perspective of somebody that chose him. Of somebody that walks with him I tell you the world does not understand the power that lies in those words the Lord is my shepherd I made up my mind a long time ago. If it's just me and Jesus, that's all right. He's my shepherd. I'm glad that you're here this morning. I thank God for a full house on Sunday morning. And I love you precious people. But you are not the reason why I came this morning. I came on this Sunday morning because the Lord is my We live in a generation that people understand the Lord is my pastor shepherd. The Lord is my brother shepherd. The Lord is my sister shepherd. The Lord is my superintendent shepherd. But I'm telling you today, I'm glad to testify that the Lord... Come on, we haven't even got out of the first line and I'm happy today. I said the Lord is my shepherd. You got to make up your mind on a different level to make that kind of a statement. I chose him because he chose me. It doesn't matter who else is with me. He is my shepherd. If everybody else gives in and everybody else runs out, the Lord is He's my shepherd. When the Lord is your shepherd, it doesn't matter who shows up to church. When the Lord is your shepherd, it doesn't matter who else backslides. When the Lord is your shepherd, it doesn't matter who else gets carnal. You've already made up your mind. He's my shepherd. I feel like preaching on Sunday morning. Another translation of the 23rd Psalm said this. I want for nothing for Adonai is my shepherd. It is God who lets me lie down in pastures of grass and who leads me to calm waters to restore my spirit. Listen to this. Who walks me in level pastures as befits a shepherd of sound reputation Even though I must sometimes pass through dark valleys, I fear no harm because you, you are with me indeed. Your crook 
and your walking stick are sources of constant comfort for me. You set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with so much fine oil that I feel like an overflowing cup. Nothing but goodness and mercy pursue me all the days of my life and indeed I feel certain that I shall dwell in the house of Adonai for days without end. The psalmist is speaking expressly to a body that needs to understand there is value in making the shepherd your shepherd. I want to tell you today, your relationship with God cannot be based on a church. Your relationship with God cannot be based on what your grandmother believed. It cannot be based on what your granddaddy believed. You've got to fall in love with Jesus for yourself. Can I just stay right there and preach that for a minute? When you made up your mind, can't nobody dissuade you. When you made up your mind, can't nobody turn you. When you made up your mind, can't nobody change your mind. I want the devil to know today, I've already chosen my shepherd. Praise God. Now the poet who writes these beautiful stanzas for us is not just any poet, but he is a man that is after God's own heart. Ah, He is a man that was literally, literally hand-selected by God's prophet. He is a man that has pursued God. He is a man that loves God. But before this man was ever, ever a king... He was a shepherd. Before he ever knew what it smelled like and sounded like and felt like to live in realms of royalty, he knew what it felt like to lay his head down on a hard stone at night and to be at that stage in between uh, where it's the real world and reality and dream world because the shepherd is always listening for his sheep. The shepherd may try to find some rest, but there's always an ear that's attuned into the distance and it's because of that ear that David said to Saul I slew a lion and I slew a bear he was a shepherd that understood the value of being present with the sleep with the sheep and not finding yourself in slumber because there's always something that's trying to get the sheep there's always something that's pursuing after the lamb but David said Lord because I have the heart of a shepherd that's why I choose you. I know what a good shepherd is. And I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be pursued. But I know what it's like to have a shepherd. It's interesting to me. Never really thought. And this, this, this may just may just fall quickly and move on. I don't have time to get into the depths of this, but I realized for the first time this week that Psalm 23 is extremely messianic in, in prophetic perspective for this simple reason. That the man who is writing this, this beautiful chapter, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is a shepherd... Who in the context of his writing, he was the shepherd that became the lamb. There's value in understanding that. That we have a great shepherd who became a lamb. When the shepherd is willing to take on the idea of the lamb. Now I'm not talking about, i got to be careful here. What David was doing in Psalms 23 was not the same thing that people are doing now when they say, I identify as a cat. David was not identifying as a lamb. Therefore, I go through my life saying, man. (laughs) You you don't just get to choose what you identify as, but this this is what's beautiful. 
is that our great God who robed himself in flesh as the good shepherd, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but a good shepherd realizes that you're willing to lay your life down for a lamb. But Jesus had a unique ability that nobody else could have, that he could be king and priest. He could be prophet and poet. Woo, God. He could be lamb and he could be lion. Isn't it amazing that the God of all glory thought enough of us as our shepherd that he would become the spotless lamb? So it's as though the poet, David, the king, the shepherd, lies down and has some kind of a dream that's just the way my mind works. I don't know really where it came from. I don't know if David dozed off one afternoon in a cool breeze that was blowing across the hills. And in that nap, he gains this perspective of green pastures and still waters and the beauty of all of that. But it's as though his life as a lamb become so clear to him, at least so far, it has been so good to him. He feels deeply grateful and deeply indebted to his shepherd for the blessings of life that he so thoroughly enjoys. Blessings that would encompass anything and everything that a lamb could possibly ever need. What are these blessings precisely, Pastor? What blessings are you talking about? Oh, just read the poetic phrasing. How beautiful it is. He said, I've got plenty of cool water. I'm never in need for a cool drink. I've got endless tracts of grassy pasture land. I'm never in need of a bite. Everywhere I look, there is provision. In every direction that I go, there is provision for me. There are green pastures and there is cool water everywhere. Where that I go, anywhere that I graze under the eyes of the shepherd, I realize that he has brought me to a place where there is provision. Can I tell you this morning that your shepherd is not going to lead you in a dry land to leave you there? Your shepherd is not. He is not going to leave you into a dry land for you to die. If you're in a dry land, it's because you're passing through. And he's about to take you to a place where there is an abundance of blessing. He said, my shepherd don't just leave me on my own. He gives me an ongoing regimen of healthy exercise. He's walking me. He's leading me. Oh, what I could preach right here. I don't ever find it anywhere historically. I don't find it anywhere biblically. That sheep are leading shepherds. You don't find anywhere sheep leading shepherds. Oh, God, I shouldn't. Lord, help me today. That's why I have a problem with men calling themselves shepherds. That'll take the dollar of a lamb. And let sheep lead them. Pastor, if you'll just do this, I'll give more. Pastor, if you'll preach less of this, then I'll give more. Pastor, if you'll let up on this, then we'll fill up the pews. That's nothing but hogwash. I've never seen anybody that's able to fill up a church. Can I, can I just say to you that I'm thankful for men of God in my life. I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but I'm thankful for my bishop. I'm thankful for a man of God in my life. I'm thankful for men that speak into my life. I'm thankful for a shepherd that cannot be bought. I'm thankful for a shepherd that cannot be distracted. I thank God for shepherds that'll stand up and say, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't wear that. Don't act like that. We are different. You are different different Uh, yeah but Mr. Shepherd have you seen that flock over there that flock is not my responsibility but as for me and this house come on we got to be very careful folks I'm going to preach you, I'm going to pass you, I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable for three minutes. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to get out of this mindset that there is a difference in a platform standard and a being saved standard. It is killing Pentecost. 
When we say, well, I don't have to do it because I'm not on the platform. I don't have to wear it because I'm not on the platform. It's not about being on the platform. It's about being saved. I'm sorry to tell you today, but if you thought you had a shepherd that could be bought out, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm going to stand in this flock for the truth. Well, I'm not in leadership, so that's a different standard for me. That's so juvenile. Somebody's watching you. You may not feel like you're in leadership because you're not in the lights this morning. But you're leading somebody. And somebody's watching you. And when you got the Holy Ghost, you got the same Holy Ghost I got. You got the same Holy Ghost Bishop got. Well, I, I, you know, Pastor, I, I understand. That's why I'm not in the choir. Then get over your pride and let God use you. Quit holding it to a platform standard and say, I'm just going to live for God. I wonder what gifts you are withholding from God this morning because you don't want to pay the price. Why are, you, why, why are you doing this, Pastor? Listen to me. I'm not just going to stand before God for what I preach to the choir and the Sunday school teachers in this church. I'm going to stand before God for what I preach to this flock, elder. I'm going to stand before God for what I told this church. I'm going to stand before God for what I told you, precious people. And I want you to understand, yes, there is a platform guideline in this church. And yes, there are things that you must do if you're going to be in leadership. But there's also things you must do if you're going to be saved. If you're going to stand before God, you're going to stand before the same God in the same way that I'm going to stand before God. The devil's a liar. This man lies down in some dream state perhaps. And he says, every blessing that I have in my life is because of the abundance of the shepherd. Everything I've got is because of the goodness of God. This is heavy to me right here. Because we live in a day and time, and I'm not saying this to be mean or rude at all, but we are so blessed. Brother Snow, the poorest among us are wealthy. How about you for you to say? You know, that's why I became a preacher, because I wanted to be rich. We were on the evangelistic field. My dad was preaching in Maslin, Ohio. He just drenched himself out. You know, my daddy's always real calm. <laughs> Finished preaching. Walked out in the cold North Ohio air. Went out to the trailer and he was changing clothes before we went out to eat. Back then, they didn't make trailers like they make them now. Right. I would have been delighted to have the travel trailer that we have right now to go camping in. We had this trailer. It was 8 foot wide, 35 feet long, and the walls were a quarter inch thick. You could hear everything going on outside. And this family don't know who they were because I couldn't see through walls. Although some people think I can. This family walked by the trailer. And Josh, my dad was in there changing clothes. And they said, boy, it must be nice to camp 12 months out of the year. I said, boy, it is. It's amazing. We have campfires in church parking lots every night. We roast marshmallows every night. No, we go to towns and we get under the load of local churches. And we tap into battles that pastors are fighting. And we help local churches fight and battle in war. I have people tell me all the time, Brother St. Clair, the reason I loved having your mother and dad come preach for us is because when they came, they weren't just evangelists that were preaching. They said, your mother and dad would get in our church and they'd pray every day. They said, we'd stop by the church and we'd hear your mother in the sanctuary seeking God and calling out to God. I thank God. I thank God for people who are not just in it. Come on, somebody. They're not just in it for the lights. They're not just in it for the 
glamour. But, but there's a principle that I want you to understand today. The blessings of God that come in our lives, they're rich. They're rich. And the poorest among us are rich. You may not have the car you want. But if you have a car, you are blessed. Come on. A man can dream, you know. A man can dream. You may not have the car you want, but you got one. And this morning when I went outside, I stuck the key in my old truck. I turned the key and it fired up. And I walked, I walked out there and started up. And I got my truck and I said, Lord, I'm thankful for my car, my truck. Thank you. Thank you for your blessings. You're making a mountain out of a molehill, Pastor. I don't think you understand. I've preached in places where people walk 30 miles to get to church. No, it ain't, it ain't the kind of car I it, it ain't the kind of car I want, Pastor. I, I'll know I'm in the will of God when God starts blessing me. Oh God. Do you know how blessed we are? Do you, do you know how blessed we are today? And every blessing that we have is because of the goodness of God. I, I don't have time to stay here because i got to get where I'm going. But I want to tell you what this generation is. This generation that we're living in right now, we are a generation of inherited blessing. We have blessings that we don't, we don't even consider them a blessing. And the reason we don't is because we didn't fight to get them. I've heard the stories of my great-granddad. Preaching meetings in town. A man walked into that meeting and said, Preacher, if I come back here and you're in this tent preaching, I'm going to kill you. And when he came back, my great-grandfather had packed up everything he had and left town. said, I'm, I'm too scared of that. I'm not, I'm not going to let anything happen to my life. I'm just, you know what he did? That man walked in the back of the tent. Guess who was preaching? Well, it's because he's an idiot. No, it's because he understands where the blessings of the Lord are. He was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but he didn't have to fear any evil. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I can tell you for the North American church, we are spoiled rotten. For the first time in our lives in 2020, we had to deal with some difficult seasons in preaching and trying to have church. And we felt like we'd been persecuted deeply. Well, the governor said we can't have church. You know, governors have been trying to keep the church from being the church for a long time. Just happened to be Roman governors and Greek governors Boy, well, I'm not sure our governors in America have anything on the Roman governors. And then sometimes I'm not sure that the Roman governors have anything. Well, I just lost half of you right there. God help us. Everything I've got, I have from the goodness of God. I'm not here to sound like a rebel today, church. Don't, don't please. But you're going to have to understand, we're going to have to figure out how to be the church when the governor says we can't. And I'm just going to tell you, if you think it's going to make any difference, because somebody else gets elected and somebody else is in office, whoever's in office in Washington doesn't change our mandate at all. I know, and if I make you uncomfortable, you can buy me a hamburger. We've got the most godless leadership we've ever had in the history of this nation. But that does not change our mandate whatsoever. We are the church of the living God, not the church of the United States of America. 
And the people that are worshiping God in the underground church of communist China are going to stand before the same God that we stand for as blessed and spoiled rotten Americans. I've never seen so much foolishness in my life. And now I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about people that we are so blessed. The blessings and the favor of God that rest in our life. Never needing anything. Never. I'm talking about, well, you don't know. Money's been tight. Well, Papa Bingham taught me a lesson a long time ago. He'd give me $5, and I'd say, Pep, let's go to the store. He'd say, son, that money ain't going to spoil in your pocket. A lot of times when we're in need, we're in need because we thought it was going to spoil. We spend it faster than we can get it in. And then when we get it in, we get more debt than we can afford to pay for because we want to keep up with so-and-so in the house that they got and the car that they got while we're living in a green pasture. Laying beside still waters. Come on, some of you think this is negative today, but the ones of you that get it say, I'm with you, Pastor, because I'm blessed. I was in a meeting the other day talking to someone that's in the process of having to make some difficult decisions for their lives. And they said, but what if I had to raise my kids in a one-bedroom apartment and that's all we had? I said, then your kids would be happy and saved. You do realize that the early fathers of the faith, they didn't have the nice things that we have. But they had some things that I wish we could get a hold of. He said, I thank God for this shepherd because he is the guardian that keeps sheep safe and keeps wolves out of the flock, keeps the bears at bay, stands against the resistance that would try to strike against us in the darkness of a, of a mountain night when we don't know where else to go. And the shepherd realizes that there is danger around us. That we are in the shadow of the valley of death. Even when I don't want to move because the pasture is so comfortable. He said, in the middle of the night, you begin to lead me. You begin to lead me through this valley of the shadow. And I don't have to understand where we're going. I just know that the rod and the staff that are in your hand bring me comfort. You know, that old staff had the hook on the end of it. And the shepherd would reach out when the lamb would get out of line. He'd put, hook it around its neck and he'd pull it back in. That was what drew the lamb back. It was the rod that was in the other hand of the shepherd. That when that lamb would become, shall we say, hard-headed, bristled up, didn't want to move. That that shepherd, this time he wasn't pulling He was pushing. And he would take that rod and he would put it in the rib of that lamb. He would say, come on, you can move. But I don't want to go. Yeah, but it's for your good. Let's go. You know why? Do you know why God gives you a shepherd that's got a rod and a staff? Because sometimes we got to be pulled back. But sometimes you got to be pushed forward. Sometimes we need a shepherd that will say, you haven't been praying like you need to be praying. Sometimes we need a shepherd that will get up and say, come on, we're having a dead church. We need somebody that will worship in here tonight. Sometimes we need a shepherd that will say, I still want to be a hand clapping, foot stomping, aisle running, Holy Ghost filled church. David said, I understand because I'm the one that used to give the blows. Go, go, go. He said, I'm the one. Come on, come on back. Come on, get back in here. I'm the one. And he said, Lord, that's why I value and find comfort in the rod and the staff. Because I know the motive of the shepherd is not to bring me pain and to frustrate me. But it brings me comfort when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That there is a rod and a staff 
that are keeping me in alignment. Hey, I'm telling you, we don't want to wander too far off when we're passing through the valley of the shadow of death. I thank God for the voice of the shepherd. When my heart gets out of alignment, he'll reach down and say, come on, son, come back a little closer. I thank God for that shepherd. When it's time for me to move on, he'll say, come on, boy, you got to move to another level. I'm saying today, Holy Ghost, wreck this church and push us into revival and push us into destiny. He said, when fear immobilizes me, the contemplation of my destiny unnerves me. I feel the gentle nudge. It's that rod. But when I try to outrun God, I feel that presence pulling me back. Saying, get back up here where you can hear my heart. Get back up here where I can talk to you. Get back up here where I can say something to you. He said, Lord... That's how I know that you're a good shepherd. Because thou art with me. Now I know what time it is. But I'm getting ready to make some people uncomfortable with life for just a minute. And this is going to be the poking and prodding of a shepherd. But I want to tell you there's more than meets the eye. The psalmist said, thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of my enemy. I spent a lot of my early ministry studying Psalm 23. There was a good book by Keller years ago. The Shepherds Look at the 23rd Psalm. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's good. It's very good. It's a different perspective. I spent a lot of time looking. But it was not until I began to research the Hebrew and Jewish roots of this chapter. That I realized how much more there was than meets the eye. When he said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I always looked at that and thought, well, that's kind of odd. I mean, I get it. And dad, if I'm good at anything, I can eat. Dad and I got away for a couple days on a minister's retreat. Met some pastors and preachers. We played golf, a few rounds of golf. And Brother Snow, I never played as good as I ate. We'd tee off. We're down there in Branson, Missouri, and we'd tee off. And one of the first things out of my mind is, what are we going to do for lunch? What comes next? And I said, Lord, I mean, I get it. I love to eat. But why in the presence of my enemies? You know, back in the day, I'd preach this, you know, because there's a comfort level to eating. You know that? How many of you remember those awkward first dates? Where you're looking at the menu and you'd be like, what can I what can I order that it's like not the most awkward to chew? Like you don't order spaghetti on your first date. Because <laughs> when you're in the presence of somebody you're uncomfortable with, you don't eat as good. I thought, oh, okay. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe he said, I should be uncomfortable with my enemies, but because you prepare the table, I feel safe. And I would say there's value to that. But the Hebrew roots of why this Hebrew author, psalmist, shepherd, king would write this is so much deeper. And I found it in rabbinical yoke. It is said that a rabbi would teach to young men that are coming up that have the desire to be rabbis and they want to lead. That there is a thing that happens in their young life that as they begin to study the Torah, and a a young man who's going to be a rabbi has to study the Scripture for 13 hours a day. Anybody here takers? I mean, I'm good through the first two chapters of Louis L'Amour, and then I'm out. I'm ready to take a nap. 13 hours a day in the book. 13 hours a day. But the rabbi said to them, I want you to understand there's more to this than just reading scripture. And there's a thing that they called preparing a table before them. And they'll bring these young students to the table and they'll set them down at the table and they will say to these young men, okay, it's time to put the Torah away, sit down at the table 
And I want you to close your eyes. And these young men will close their eyes. And they'll say to them, now I want you to get in your mind every person in your life that has hurt you. Every person in your life that's brought you pain. It doesn't matter where you've been, what they've done, what kind of pain they caused you. Anybody in here ever been through a little something? Come on, let's be honest. We're in the house of God. Anybody in here ever been hurt? Anybody in here ever hurt you, broke you? Come on, let's be real. I know you look pretty today, but it ain't all good. Come on. Your hair, there ain't a hair out of place, but you've been through some hell. And it's said in this tradition that they'll sit down and say, close your eyes and get every, every man that's hurt you. Things you went through as a child. Things that broke you down. People that hated you. People that despised you. And to be honest, people that you feel like you hate right now. I'm fixing to preach to somebody in here for just a minute. I'm going to minister. I'm not even going to preach. I'm just going to minister to somebody in here right now. I want you to get in your mind the things that you've been through and the people that caused that pain. And it said that the rabbi will sit them there. They're not allowed to open their eyes because they're not going to focus on anybody that's there with them. But the rabbi then will tell them, now that you've got the faces of those people in your mind, I want you to begin to set a table for every man that has harmed you. I want you to begin to set a table, and not just any table. I want the finest you've got. I want you to imagine the greatest meal that you could prepare, the finest silverware that you could buy. I want you to imagine the most beautiful china place settings that you could ever have. And now I want you to set a place at your table for your enemy. For the people that have caused you the most harm, for the people that have wounded your spirit, He said, I want you to set a table. David said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I was like, God, I don't understand. And then the Lord started speaking to me. He said, son, I want you to notice what a rabbi, a shepherd does. He takes the heart of these men and says, I want you to set down every man that has abused you, that has molested you, that has hurt you, that has harmed you, that has tore you apart, and then set them at that table. And he said, I want you to look every one of them directly in the eye and say thank you because of what I've been through I have the ministry that I have because of the brokenness that was in my life I bless you because now I am fit for the service of God what David was saying That he prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Is that there's no man that has ever tried to harm me. I know Saul threw javelins at me. And I know Saul tried to destroy my life. But it's because of what I've been through that I am what I am today. David was telling us, and if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Nobody that has ever put you through anything can ever keep you from becoming what God wants you to become. I know this makes some people uncomfortable, but I'm here to preach to somebody in this house. You've been giving people rent for free in your mind for too long. It's time to write some eviction notices today and say, you may have thought you had a a hold on my mind and you may have thought you controlled me, but I'm here to say thank you today. I am now the man or the woman of God that God wants me to be and I bless you. And that's when God spoke to me. And he said, son, forgiveness is not when you say you've forgiven. Forgiveness is when you say, I want to feed you. I want to bless you. You haven't forgiven until you can bless the breaker. You don't know what they put me through. No, but I know who does. 
And he's the great shepherd that's going to help you prepare that table today. I'm not making light that you were wounded. And I'm not making light of how you were broken. And I'm not making light of what you went through. But what I want to say to you today is you ought to rejoice. Because what they put you through, it could have ended it for you. But you realize who you were in God. And you realize that God wasn't finished for you. Pastor, they told me I'd never amount to anything. But look at you today. You're a king's kid. You're in the house of the Lord. But pastor, they took things from me that I can never get back. That's right. But there's also things they can't take from you. I'm telling you, I'm here today to dig deep. I'm going to dig somebody out of a terrible pit this morning. I've come to preach to somebody that's been held captive for long enough. It has halted your worship. It has hindered your relationship with God. It's kept you from loving your father because maybe your earthly father didn't know how to love you. But an almighty God robed himself in flesh and put his arms around you and said, I love you so much, I'll prepare the table for you I I understand I understand that this is a funeral chapter to some but while some use this as a funeral chapter brother Caleb this is where I start living right here This is where real life starts when I don't have to carry that weight on my shoulders into worship anymore. When I can walk in and I lift my hands and I realize that weight is off of me. That bitterness is gone from me. I'm not bitter anymore. I'm not broken anymore. I'm not hurting anymore because God has prepared a table. I've been healed. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, the greatest rabbi of all said, instead of letting bitterness overtake you, the wisdom of the rabbi said, but I say unto you that here. I'm not sure we're ready for this. We used to sing it all the time. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus on earth I long. To be like him. But he said. I say unto you which here. Love your enemies. Listen church I need you to lock in with me right here. I don't want, no, I, I don't want nothing distracting what God's doing in here right now. Stay with me. He said love your enemies. What? Do good to them. Which hate you. I hadn't left the book yet. Do good. Do good to them that hate you. Are you kidding me? Do you know how messed up I am because of them? Not anymore. I had a banquet. I sat down at the banquet. I had a banquet and I left some things on the table and I said this is the last day that I'll ever let my enemy keep me from being what God wants me to be. He said love your enemy and do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. You got your seatbelt all right here because this one's tough. Pray for them. Pastor, I just feel so used. I understand. Pray for them. That despitefully. Church, I don't know if you understand how much liberty there is in what I'm preaching to you right now. Pray for them. And I'm not talking about praying for vindication. You know what the Lord spoke to me a few months ago? Brother Snow, the Lord said to me, he said, Luke, you can either have vindication or you can have victory. Which one do you want? 
That'll settle in in just a minute. You can't have both. Because if you feel like you need to be vindicated, then that is, that's your victory for that. That's it. But if you learn how to walk in victory and pray for them that despitefully use you. And unto him that smites you on one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that robs your cloak from you, say, hey, brother, if you're that cold, let me give you my coat. I don't, I've never understood that, Pastor. Why would you give a coat? Because you know where your coat came from. Your good shepherd takes care of you. That may be the only coat that man wears. But when you know the goodness of God, you'll never be cold a day. A day in your life. I know I'm pushing the time clock. But I'm telling you right now that the good shepherd, the rabbi, he taught us the way. He's the good shepherd. And in John 10 and 10, he fixes a perspective. He said, you think maybe that your brother that's hurt you is what's going to destroy you. But let me set the record straight. He said, your brother's not your enemy. The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and they may have it more. Abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches them and scatters them. The hireling, he flees because he is a hireling and he don't care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. And this is so powerful. He said, and I am known. Of mine. I know this is quiet right here, but this is a God moment. I could have preached this where you were on your hands and uh, on your feet clapping your hands right now, but I need this to get in somebody's spirit. The good shepherd gave his life so the people that have dominated my life can't dominate me anymore. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? You are a child of God. Yes, but the pain was so deep. Yes. And that's why he was wounded in Isaiah 53. For your transgression. And he was bruised for your iniquity. So where does this put me then? If I'm the one that's setting the table. And I'm the one that's doing all the work. Then where does my vindication come from? The next words out of his mouth. He said, thou anointest my head. Thou anointest my head with oil. I wish I had time to preach all of this to you. It's so powerful. This is where he said, Thou anointest my head with oil. And the Hebrew phrase means this. You fatten my head with oil. What? what? As they apply the oil on the head and neck of of a lamb that has been attacked by fleas and ticks and parasites that are biting after them you can always tell the lamb that's been anointed because the oil begins to spread their hair out and when you look at the lamb you don't have to wonder which one's been anointed because they look fat with blessing David said thou anointest my head with oil And when I get up from the table that I have set and you have prepared for me, he said, when I walk away, everybody's going to see your goodness that's on me. It's not just about what I've had to give. It's about what I receive because when I let it go, I am rich and fat with the blessings of the Lord. He said, Lord, you have put so much oil on me that I feel like I'm a cup that's absolutely running over. Hey, let your enemies do what they're going to do but you need to let the world know I've been blessed I am fat with the blessings of the Lord thou anointest my head with oil I'm closing 
I don't know who it is I'm reaching for completely this morning. But I do know that God sent me here with a word for somebody that's in a desperate place. And it's time for you to come out of the terrible pit and let him heal you. The blessings of God are rich. But as David closes it out, we realize that he is a lamb that's grappling with the uncertainty that's inherent in wanting to serve in God's holy temple. By, oh, by what do you mean, Pastor? I want you to notice he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we can preach that. It's so good. But he said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we read that in the English, we just see forever. and We think that means just on and on and on and on and on. But it's actually a word that has some substance. It means there is a time that it expires. As a shepherd from Bethlehem, there was one thing that David knew. Does anybody know here where all the lambs that were going to be killed at Passover had to be, if they were going to be the Passover lamb that was taken to Jerusalem, do you know where they went and got them? Levitical order said they went and got them in Bethlehem. Do you know where the lamb slain from the foundation of the world was born? In Bethlehem. Do you know where David was a shepherd? In Bethlehem. David was well acquainted. And understand this statement that I'm going to make to you with the ministry of the lamb. He said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever knowing that a lamb had only one thing that they were good for in the temple. And that was when the shepherd is finished with me. I will gladly lay down my life for the service of the king. From the perspective of a man that knew what it was like to have to take a lamb that he had raised. Say this will be the one that the high priest can take. David said, Lord, understand the value of this. I told you in verse 1 that he chose the shepherd. But in this last and final verse, he chose his dwelling place. And he said, I'm going to dwell in a place that some would look at and say, that's dangerous. You don't want to be there. Because the only thing they can do with a lamb in the temple is to slay it. But David said, I choose to dwell. Where I can be of service to God. And isn't it something that when the great shepherd opens up his mouth and says, if you want to follow after me, you will deny yourself and you will take up your cross and you will follow me. Church family, if we're ever going to experience everlasting life, it's going to be because we're willing to lay down and die. Choosing Christ, and don't misconstrue this. I don't have time to go deep. Just understand, choosing Christ does not mean that you just choose life. It means you choose death. Because everything that we've been, Lord, I don't want to miss this right here. Everything that I've been has to die for me to become what he wants me to be. I'm asking you to bow your heads in here right now. The Holy Ghost is moving and working in this congregation right now. The last few minutes, it's just been, the enemy's tried to distract and, and pull people's minds. I've, I've been, I understand that. But God sent me here this morning to help somebody understand that you can be free today. I'm not just talking about coming to the house of the Lord and feeling a chill bump up and down your spine. I'm talking about coming to the house of the Lord and truly being liberated and free. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. As the music comes, please, if you're here this morning and you're in need of a touch from God in your life and you're willing to lay down your life for God and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you've called me to do. I just want you to slip out. Nobody's watching you right now. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's looking. But if you want to go deeper with God this morning and you're willing to dwell in the house of the Lord, this altar is open and I invite you to come. Because serving God is not just always about what I'm gaining, but it's about what I'm abandoning. It means abandoning sin and pride and arrogance. It means not serving other masters, but serving one master. 
It means that if I want to live forever, I've got to die right now. I've got to lay down my old ways. I've got to lay down my old man and my old spirit. I'm just asking the music to play softly right now. There are tender hearts in this room. If y'all sing something in a minute, that's great. But let's just play softly right now. With reckless abandon, God, I'm laying down everything that I have to follow after you. I'm abandoning everything that I've known, Lord, to follow after you because I choose you. I choose you, God. Come on, you're having a tough conversation in your heart right now. God, I choose you over over family, and I choose you over wealth, and I choose you over jobs, and I choose you over opinions. This is the kind of preaching that, if I can say it like this, it separates the men from the boys. Because this is where we find out how bad do you want it. Sometimes you've had things in your life that God's convicted you of and you know God convicted you of it. But you continue to push back against that and you'll come back and revisit it ever so often. Last time you tried to walk that road, you felt the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. But over time, you come back and try to visit again. And my question to you this morning is how many times will we try to walk that road before the Lord finally just says, I'm not going to ask again. I don't know who's here this morning that needed what I was preaching, but I know somebody was. I tossed and turned all night long because I knew somebody here this morning was going to need what God was going to speak. I'm talking about a walk with God that's going to look completely different than it's ever looked in your life. you're so in love with him that you will abandon everything you've known just to follow after him come on while the spirit's drawing I'm just I'm gonna leave the altars open for a few minutes Holy Ghost sometimes it's it's frustrating when the shepherd don't let us go where we want to go we feel that that pull back of his staff we're like no I, that's not what I want but I'm pleading with you today please don't reject the call of the shepherd he's reaching in this room this morning Some of the things that I've preached to you this morning, there was a time in your life it would have convicted you. But today you feel that spirit of rejection in your heart. God, I, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of feeling that nudging and that pulling all the time. But I'm telling you, if you'll give in to the heart of God today, you'll be grateful again for the heart of the shepherd because he sees dangers that we don't see. All across this room, can we just lift our hearts to Jesus? So just lift your hand to the Lord. God, forgive me for the things that I've withheld from you. Forgive me for the things that I've held back from you when you've asked me for them, God. Come on, no, nobody's listening to you. Nobody's going to make fun of you this morning. Just share your heart with God. God, forgive me for the things you've asked me for, but I withheld them because I wanted to hold on to them. Lord, I I would have to openly admit to you today, God, there's some things that I put before you in your kingdom. There's some things that I've held more dear than my relationship with you, and I'm asking you to forgive me today. God, if there's things that I've put ahead of you, I'm asking you to forgive me today. Wash me today, Lord. I just want you to begin to pray the psalm that that same David wrote. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. 
and uphold me with thy free spirit. Come on, pray that this morning. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. want us to just stay right here before we dismiss there's so much more to repentance than just what we say but I want you to understand that you cannot be repentant without saying something I cannot just walk into the room and owe my wife an apology and her just know that I'm sorry because it's on my mind I gotta open up my mouth and say sweetheart I apologize I'm sorry please forgive me This morning, God does know your heart, but he wants to hear you say, Lord, open up that mouth and say, God, I let you down. My heart used to be tender before you, but the more I rejected your voice, the easier it was for me to reject it. And so today, God, I'm asking you to create in me a clean heart. Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Purge me. Purify me. Woo. Come on, I know this makes you uncomfortable, church. I know this is the kind of praying that makes us uncomfortable, especially when people are watching. I got to be saved. Could we stand all across this building today? perspective of a lamb says this I'm thankful for the green pastures and the still waters I'm thankful that he restored my soul and I'm thankful for the table that he set and I'm thankful for the oil but my perspective is this I'm not just here for the blessing I'm here to be of a service to your temple I'm not just here for the green pastures I'm not just here for the loaves and the fish I'm here until you're finished with me in the house of the Lord. Thank you for goodness and thank you for mercy. But Lord, you just need to know this is where I plan on dwelling until the end of my days. And when you're finished with me, let it be that I gave you my best. God, I've preached your word today. And now I ask that he that hath an ear, he would hear the word of God. Lord, we can leave here saying it's just another Sunday. It's just another sermon that pastor preached. It's just another call to repentance. Or God, we can let it get a hold of our hearts and say, God, whatever you're doing, I want to be in the middle of it. I want you to heal my mind, my soul, my spirit so I can be of service to you. I plead the precious blood of Jesus over these precious people that have gathered under the sound of my voice. And I ask God that you would strengthen them and touch them. Bless them today. Keep us in your grip until we come back together tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we're going to thank you, Father. Would you give the Lord thanks for his precious word today? Would you just thank the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.